Thank you, Zip. See, if you're part of our Kids Church team, you could be part of cool kids clip videos. Anyway, we're, we're looking uh, at Psalm 91. We started last week. Uh, we'll continue this week and next week. And uh, as we look at it, it has promises within Psalm 91 that bring us comfort and hope in times of trouble and in times of uncertainty. And as I alluded to when I came up here that last week, uh, having the right mindset is critical uh, for uh, coming in and confronting our, our times of trouble, our times of uncertainty. And that, that mindset is just believing in the, the great I am, the most high God, the God Almighty, that this is your God. And you can, uh, if you want to hear that, you can go to the, to the website or the, uh, the Faith Life app and listen to last week's uh, sermon. I think you can even go to YouTube. Uh, but this week, um, we're going to talk about beneficiaries of the promise. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked uh, about hope, right? And Psalm 91 gives a lot of people hope when they read it. Now, hope is confident expectation. And as we march through these things, we have to be confident so that we can have hope. And so last week, we can have confidence that the promises made in Psalm 91 will be delivered to us because God is able, right? We, we said he's the, he's the great I am, the, the God Almighty. There is none greater. There is none more powerful. Time itself can't even stop God. And so we know we have confidence in God's ability to deliver his promises, right? That his ability uh, is there. That no force, no evil, no God, no time, there's nothing that could stop him or get in his way from fulfilling his promises. So the next question, and in order to have confidence, is say we know that God's able to deliver on these promises. The next one is, is well, are these promises for me? Or is he promising this for someone else? Right? Well, there are some things, there are some promises uh, that God provides people regardless of what they do or what they do not do. They're just for everybody. Uh, one of those would, would be alluded to in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 through 45. Uh, and it's funny because this was part of our uh, zip clip a bit this morning too. But he says, I say to love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What this is saying here is that regardless of your behavior, the sun is still going to shine on you. That the sun's still going to come up tomorrow. It's going to be a new day regardless of your behavior, regardless of your mindset, regardless of how you treat people, regardless of your views of God. He still promises the sun to rise. He also promises rain to fall. Thank you, Lord. We're in time of drought, and uh, every drop of rain that falls we're grateful for right now. But guess what? You and I did nothing to get the promise of rain. 
It falls on the just and the unjust. It's just one of those things. What else does God provide us regardless of who we are and what we think or how, what we act? He gives us the air we breathe. He created a system that cleanses the air and produces oxygen so that you can live. I mean, he provides that for you regardless of who you are and what you do. The seasons come and the seasons go, which each have their own benefit to us, right? Spring, summer, fall, and winter, regardless. The, the life that you have in you is yours to do with what you want, regardless of who you are. In all of the systems that we see, the, the rotation of the planets and what that does, the, the tides of the ocean that come and go, and all the systems and things that are necessary for life to happen, he provides for us regardless of what you do. These are examples of promises from God that are for all people. Now, there are promises that are for all people, but then there are promises that include little words. Little words like when, if, because. See, these words create a distinction. These words indicate that a condition has been placed in order for the promise to be delivered. Right? Let me give you some examples. Uh, you know, with this theme of dessert, you all know I love my desserts. If we say, we will have dessert if you finish your dinner. That is not a promise for everybody in the, in the room. That's a promise to those who finish their dinner will get dessert because of a little word, if. Or how about, I was given a raise at work because I had worked for one year. See, I just wasn't randomly given a raise because everybody got a raise. I was given a raise because my annual time came up because. So the because indicates that not everybody gets a raise. Just the people who have worked for a full year got a raise. Or how about, when you text me, I'll leave the house to pick you up. The word when indicates a condition of me coming to pick you up. Right? I'm not going to leave until I get a text. See, these are examples from my house because this is the way we live and this is what runs through my head. All these little words, if, because, when. When we see these inserted in the promises of God, right there it creates a distinction that this promise is not applicable Everybody. There's a condition placed on the promise. I'm going to pause for a minute and just pray for us as we look into this. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your promises. I thank you that you have promises that apply to all people, that your love for all people you provide for regardless of what they do and what they don't do. And Lord, as we look into promises and conditions, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our heart, open our eyes, that we may understand and then apply these things to our life so that we may more fully be your people. In your name, amen. So, 
There are conditions placed for promises to be released. And oftentimes we go through life uh, as Christians or, or not, and we, we know of God's promises, and we think, hey, that, that's mine. I deserve that. I'm do that. I'm whatever that. And then, or we wonder why a promise hasn't been re- released in our life, not realizing we've never met the condition. Or, or maybe deciding, hey, I don't want to meet the condition, but I expect the promise anyway, uh, like a child who expects dessert and won't finish their dinner. If you're a good parent, you'll say, uh-uh, you need to meet the condition. I'm going to do a little parenting lesson right now here because, yeah, uh-oh, because we need to hear this. If you put a condition on a promise to your child and then don't hold your end of the deal, guess what? You're a liar. And your kids will grow up knowing my mom and dad aren't true. They don't really mean that. I'll just bat my eyes and smile, and they'll learn how to deceive you to get what they want. So a good parenting is say, if you put a condition on it, you better hold to your condition. Even if it hurts you. If you say, no one's getting dessert until you eat your dinner, and they don't eat their dinner, guess what? You're not getting dessert either, because you just made a condition. And you better keep it. Ouch. Right? But this is how we raise good children who understand what right and wrong and these kinds of things are. Anyway, let's move on. So there are conditions placed for the promises to be released. So we're going to look... Are there words of distinction in Psalm 91? And if so, what are those conditions for the promises to be released in our life? That's what we're going to look at today. Next week, we'll actually look at the promises. But, but you need to have a hope and a confidence before you even know what the promises are. So, uh, in Psalm 91, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to be looking at the New King James Version today. And the reason I'm going to be looking and kind of switching translations this morning is because the NIV does a terrible job in Psalm 91. They do not capture what the meaning of the original language was well. And, and New King James Version captures it perfectly. And that's, that, that shouldn't shake us. You see... We have different translations because people sat down with the original language and as they read it and they were interpreting it, they said, I think this word fits best. And then other people came by and said, no, I think a different English word fits better. And they created a different translation. And so you'll see as we go along uh, why. But in the New King James, the first word of distinction we see is in Psalm 91 in verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, and then the promise comes on. Which we're not going to get into the promises today. But in verse 9, we see the word, because. Now, in the NIV, I'll read you because I want to show you the difference here. Uh, In verse 9, it says, If you say the Lord is my refuge... And make the Most High your dwelling. Then it lists the promises. See, the original language has nothing about saying anything. 
oftentimes we've said, if I say the Lord is my refuge, like, it, like the whole promise here is contingent on your vocalization of saying God is your refuge. It's wrong. The right interpretation is, because you have made the Lord, comma, these next words are descriptive of the Lord who is my refuge, who's even the most high. This is the Lord we're talking about. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place. It's a little bit different than, I say God is my refuge, than making God your dwelling place. So, so the first word of distinction he has is, because you've made God your dwelling. That's the first condition. Dwelling with the Lord, or the Lord being your dwelling. Well, what does that mean? I mean, that's kind of, how is someone your dwelling? Well, to dwell means to remain, to settle or live, right? To stay, to make your home there. That's what the word dwell means. And to give you an example of this, in Genesis 13, verse 12, it says this, Abram, who became Abraham, dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. So you get the idea. Abram lived in the land of Canaan. He made his home there, and Lot made his home in the city. So we see the word dwelt, made his home, remained there, stayed there, put down roots there, right? This, this is the idea of what it means to dwell, and it creates a distinction, right? That it's a distinction that you're not a stranger there, nor are you a visitor there, because a stranger and a visitor would be temporary or short-term occurrences. You were just there for a minute or there for a moment. You were a visitor. But to dwell there means permanent residency, right? That's what it means to dwell. So how do I make the Lord my dwelling? Because you can understand, like, I can dwell in Hyannis, right? Or I can make a motorhome my dwelling. I live, that's, I live in my motorhome. Like, I put down roots somewhere. But how do you make the Lord your dwelling? Well, simply, simply put in today's vernacular, we choose to move in with God, we choose to move in with God, not ask God to move in with us. That's an important distinction. Think about it. If you've ever moved in with somebody, and it was their house, and you moved in with them, it's their house, their rules, right? Yet if you ask somebody to move in with you, it's your house, your rules. Right? So when we, when we make our dwelling in the Lord, we move in with God. It's his house, his rules. And oftentimes in Christianity today, we've said, no, no, I'm going to invite God to move in with me, my house, my rules. When I need you, God, I'll pull you out. And that's not what it means to dwell in the Lord. 
You're asking the Lord then to, to come into your house and make his dwelling with us. Now, I know theologically we could, the Lord lives in us. I understand that. We're talking just example-wise, okay? Uh, I, I know that the Lord dwells within us. But when we're talking about putting down roots, uh, we're moving in with God. He's not a relative that you visit on the holidays or when you need help. Amen? He's not a relative we visit on holidays or run to when we're in trouble. Right? Like, hey, uh, Uncle John, I'm in, I'm in some financial help. Uh, uh, do you think you could spot me uh, some money so I can, I'll pay you back? Right? Or, or, hey, we're getting together for the holidays. I'm going, me and God, I'm going to be with God. Like, it's, it's the holidays today. This is not what it means to dwell. That's, that means what it means to visit. And so there's a difference. There is a distinction. So when we move in with God, we live with him. We talk with him daily because we live with him. We, we communicate with God. I mean, how horrible would it be to live with somebody and you never talk to them? We adopt his way of doing things, his house, his rules. Right? If he doesn't stay up all night long watching movies, I'm not going to either because it's his house and I have respect for him. If, if he doesn't like uh, cussing in his house, guess what? I'm not going to cuss because I've moved in with him. If he doesn't like wild parties and orgies, guess what? That stops too because it's God's house, his rules. This is the decision that we make when we move in with God, his house, his rules. We, we adopt his ways of doing things. We consider him when we make our plans because we live with him. So he must be considered as we plan things. There's a level of respect there and involvement when you live with somebody. We seek his wisdom. We seek his direction. And guess what? We do all this in the good times and the bad times. We do this in the certain times and the uncertain times. That's what happens when you live with somebody. You go through the good and the bad together. You go through the prosperous and the lean together. You, you go through it all together because you live together. And so there's the distinction between using God as a family, as a relative, versus living with God. And so what does it mean to dwell with God? You move in with him. You live with him. You adopt his ways. You talk with him. You seek him in all things. What's the second place that we see a word of distinction? Well, guess what? It's the same word. Psalm 91 verse 14 says this, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. He goes on with the promises. He says, Because he loves me, because he has set to love me, I will do this. So the second promise we see is the love for the Lord. A love for the Lord. Now, we know that Jesus, uh, this was the, one of the greatest, or is the greatest commandment that when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment in all scripture? 
Mark 12, 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now, what does love for God look like? What does love for God look like? I think if we listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 63, it it creates, it paints a picture for what it means to love the Lord the way we should. In Psalm chapter 63, verse 1, this is in the uh, English Standard Version, says this, O God, you are my God. Now, this was in verse 2 of Psalm 91, right? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Earnestly. Not just, yeah, you know what? I, I tried to call God once. I looked to see if he was in the living room. Couldn't find him. Earnestly. Checked every room in the house. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced thirst to the point where you felt like fainting. Maybe some of you have. Maybe you work outdoors and you worked really hard, sweating a lot. You got dehydrated and you felt bad. Like, your body was craving water. This is what the psalmist is alluding to here. Like, man, I just, my soul... The thing that's within me, it just desires you. Like to the point of I just, I, I have to have you. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. He says, I've been to your presence and I've seen the greatness of who you are. I've seen your majesty and your power and all that you are. And I just... I admire you. I, I'm in awe of you. You see, the psalmist is in awe of God and longs for him. I think this captures what it means when someone's heart is, loves the Lord. John Piper describes this love as this, admiring and enjoying all that he is. This awe of God, this fear of God, this admiring, like, wow, God, he's amazing, and I enjoy who he is. Now, someone say, well, the Bible says that, you know, love for God is obeying his commands. It is. It's believing his word. It is. It's thanking him for all of his gifts. You're exactly right, it is. But these things come from an overflow of our love for God. It's really difficult to obey somebody you have no affection for. I've had to, right? We all have work. We've worked for bosses we don't like, except for Sean. He's never experienced that. Anyway. (laughs) We've all had to obey somebody that we have no affection for at all, right? And it's torturous, especially if they don't have your best interest at heart. But when you love somebody, man, it's just, it comes easily. Believing him at his word, oh, wow, I've seen him. I'm in love with him. Of course I believe him at his word. I'm thankful for all, I mean, all of this. 
But all of this comes from the overflow of falling in love with God. Now, sometimes, like children, we're asked to obey before we love. We're asked to believe before we love. We're, we're asked to be thankful. Uh, and this teaches us, this sometimes opens up for us the majesty and the glory and the power of who he is. But that's not where it stops. Those are commands that, that, don't lead to, that can lead to life, but they're just commands. God would love you to get to the point where out of the overflow of your love for him, you do these things. Now, as I think of the instructions here, the conditions in Psalm 91, the, the dwelling with and the love for, man, the language, it, it carries the same idea as marriage, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it really? It carries that idea. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor Steve? This is a little strange. Now, men, I encourage you, like, just press pause on what you think about, like, love for God and marriage to God. Like, we, we can only sometimes think of that in the, in the way we think of a woman and sexually speaking and how is that even possible. But I'm going to show you some scriptures that are true for a marriage relationship or should be true for a marriage relationship if it's going to last. Look at the language of Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As, this is the New Living Translation. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? This speaks of a desire, Right? That there's a, there's a desire in the heart for God and to be with God. And in a marriage, don't, don't you have to have a desire for the other person? There's, there's a desire. I just, I long to be with that person. Where can I go to find them? I just, I mean, when my wife and I met, I, I would do crazy stuff just to be with her. You're like, what crazy stuff did you do? For me, it was crazy. I worked in retail, and I would get off at like 10, 10.30 at night. I would drive to her apartment, which was, guess what? It was not on my way home. Like, work was in the middle. She was over here, and I lived over here. So I drove the other way, would spend time, we'd talk, whatever. I'd fall asleep. I'd wake up, like, oh, it's 2 in the morning. Oh. I'd drive home because I didn't want my roommate waking up and being like, oh, you spent the night at her house. Shame, shame. But none of that went on. But just... I'd get up next morning for work, like, uh, uh, like stumble out the door with a cup of coffee, get to work, like, and do it all over again, and love every minute of it. Right? You do crazy stuff. Because I had a desire to be with her. And so there's a desire to want to be with God. Then look at Luke chapter 4, verse 8. Jesus replied, The scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's an exclusivity here, isn't there? When we're talking about God, God's like, listen, I want to be your one and only. You shall have no other gods before me. And I don't know of any healthy marital relationship that doesn't have this same in their uh, exclusivity in their relationship, right? Like, oh no, you will have no other man but me. You will have no other woman but me, right? That's, that's just, that's part of the bookends, right? Amen? Okay, I'm glad you agree with that. I'm like, wait, we, 
I got to go a lot simpler here if this is where we're at. There's an exclusivity in our relationship with God. Look at Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son where the prodigal son goes off and lives his life the only way you know, he wants to. And in verse 18, he comes to his senses and he says this, I'll go home to my father. You say, well, what's your point here? Our relationship with God is a choice. It's not forced. The son had the, the, the choice to walk away and live his life however he wanted to, and he had the choice to return. And it's the same in our relationships with, with our spouses. Like, we have a choice, uh, in our culture anyway. Nobody's forcing you to marry that person. You have a choice. It's not a forced love. What else? We read Mark chapter 12, verse 30. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and your strength. That this is the first and most important relationship in your life. That should be our view of God, right? This is my, my first, my number one relationship and the most important in my life. And Isn't that the same approach we have in marriage? That your spouse, they ought to be the most important relationship that you have? If you have other people in your life that are more important to you than your spouse, your marriage is destined for hardship and, and potential probable failure. Nobody, nobody wants to commit to living with somebody for a lifetime and then play second fiddle. John 13, verse 34, Jesus said this, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. God cares that we love his other children. Now, if you've ever been part of a blended family, you know the value of this. Like, you can't love me and not love my kids. Because if you don't love my kids, then you really don't love me. Right? Isn't that how somebody feels if, if, in a blended family? Like, hey, this is my son. I, I, I know they're not from your loins, but they're my kid. And if you want to love me, you got to love my kid too. Right? God's the same way. Love for me is loving my children. One more. I'm just showing you examples how this mirrors so much this loving God and dwelling with him. It's like a marriage. The permanency in John chapter 14, verse 2 through 3, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, what I have told you, that I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Man, this, this relationship with God has such a permanency to it. It's like, hey, you're mine forever. And guess what? Death isn't even going to part us. And it's the same in a marriage relationship. We stand up and say, hey, we're, this is forever until death takes us. It's such vivid illustration, and, and this is why God gave us the example of marriage for us to understand spiritual things of how God feels and how God desires. It's why we often uh, are referred to the bride of Christ in John chapter 3, Ephesians 5, Revelation 19. He talks about us 
as his bride. His bride, people who love him and choose to dwell with him. So what are the conditions of the promise or the promise says we find in Psalm 91? Well, those promises are for people who love the Lord and choose to dwell with him. If you're a lone ranger and you just want to want to see God as a shelter from a storm that you temporarily run to and then, and then leave when the storm is over. Uh, this promise isn't for you. If you just, you know, want to keep God at, at arm's distance and I don't really want to do anything with you, God, but I'll call you when I need you, this promise, this one isn't for you. The conditions of these promises are for those who choose to dwell with God, who decide to move in with God through the good and the bad, who, who, who decide to love God and, and, and make this a permanent relationship. Now, let me preface, it's, it's not contingent on you being perfect. Just like there's no perfect marriage. I mean, I've chosen to dwell with my wife, I've chosen to love her. But guess what? I don't always do that well. I make my mistakes. I don't do it perfectly, but guess what? We still live together and love each other. (laughs) I heard that amen in the back. (laughs) These are the conditions. You don't have to be perfect. Don't give in to that lie that God's not on your side. These promises aren't for you because you're not perfect. That's, n- that's nowhere in here. Those are not conditions laid on the promises in Psalm 91. The conditions are you choosing to live with God and choosing to love him. Even if you do it imperfectly, that's your heart's desire and that's what you've chosen to do. The psalmist understands this. And I want to read you Psalm 27, verses 4 and 5, as we, as we wrap this up. He says, This one thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You hear the permanency of this. You hear the desire for this. I'm asking God for this. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The language says, hey, I, I, I admire God. I, I enjoy him. And I desire, I choose, I want to be with him. I want to live and move in with him. Verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the rock of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And so when we start looking at the promises next week, we realize that, those, that the promises aren't made because trouble has come or our desire for God isn't because trouble has, a, has a, suddenly aroused us. No, no, I have a desire for God because I'm in trouble. It's those who choose to dwell with God long before there's any trouble who have said, hey, I'm going to make God my dwelling place. And when trouble comes, he'll hide me in the shelter because I dwell with him. God doesn't hide us because we're desperate. 
God protects us and hides us because we dwell with him. When we desire and love God and we dwell in his house, when the day of trouble comes, there's protection. When uncertainty comes, he leads us and guides us. We, we, we take rest in his shadow because we dwell with him. Now here's the good news. This, this dwelling with God There's no distinction of who can and who can't. You see, Psalm 91, verse 1, the very first word says, whoever. And that's the beauty of the good news. Whoever. It doesn't matter matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past, whether you've been a good boy or girl or a bad boy and girl. Like, there's no distinction. It's open to everybody. Whoever falls in love with God and makes him their dwelling can have these promises. That means everyone in this room everyone listening online, and, then, and beyond. Whoever would choose this. It's not restrictive. It's not only for an elite group of people. Or those who are perfect. Or any other criteria you can throw out there. It's for whoever. Whoever would meet these two conditions can have these promises. That's amazing. That's, that's the good news of the gospel. Right? There was Old Testament times where you had to do certain things, you had to be a certain people for these promises to be realized, but Jesus Christ removed those. And it's whoever. And I would like as many whoever's as possible. Right? As many whoever's. The more whoever is the better. Can I challenge you today as we close here to commit, and we'll pray this way, to choose to move in with the Lord. Take your relationship to the next level. Sometimes we go through life, we know God, We've experienced him. We've seen his glory. We've seen his power. We've, we've gone to him. Maybe we've visited him on the holidays or the, or the weekends. Maybe we've prayed to him in times of trouble and he's been good and delivered us. And, you know, all of these kinds of things. But can I, can I challenge you now? Take your relationship with him to the next level. Make that commitment that I'm going to dwell with God. I have, I have seen his majesty. I've seen his awesomeness. I've seen that he's the great I am. There is no better. There, God, can I, can I be like the, the psalmist in Psalm 27? One thing I ask of you, God, can I move in? Because reality is, the promises in Psalm 91 we'll look at next week, all the promises of God 
are really for those who dwell with God. And so all the promises that you see in Scripture and that you hope were realized in your life come when we decide to move in with God and we adopt that mindset that I dwell with God, I, I speak with Him, I consider Him, I live by His, his house rules, I adopt them as mine. The awesome thing is this. The decision to move in with the Lord is, is just what the psalmist did. It's a prayer. Lord, I want to dwell close to you. And then guess what? I know you're like, you don't actually have furniture. You can't just be like, okay, ah, moving in with God now, right? We, we don't have that. So our mind plays tricks with us. Have we moved in with God? No. So you know how you know? You just start acting like you live with God. So you start considering God. You got your work and, and, and you're doing whatever and you're having a conversation. And you say, God, geez, help me, uh, help me talk to this person. Or I, for me, when I, when I walk or hike, I'm constantly I'm thanking God for beautiful things I see. I'm like, man, Lord, thank you. That is gorgeous. When you created that, you were above and beyond. Like, no person could ever think to create that. You're amazing. Like, I just have this conversation with God. When you're on your lunch break and you're just thinking, you know, you just, like you would if you moved in with a spouse. You just have a conversation. And then when I go through a tough time, I'm like, God, this, is, this, is, this might be more than I can handle. He's like, I got you. And I have peace because God says he's got me, and I know he's got me because guess what? I live with him. So from this point forward, if you pray today and invite God, uh, if you invite yourself into God's home, guess what? He's not, he's not an American. Can I say that? That God is not an American. I hope you realize that. I hope everybody realizes God is not American. Nor is God European. Nor is God Russian. Nor is God African. Nor God is God. These are distinctions that we create. But our American culture is, it's kind of offensive to just invite yourself over somebody's house, isn't it? Like, God's not offended. Invite yourself over. Hey, God, I'm moving in with all my baggage. Right? And some of us have more baggage than others. We all have baggage, and we're going to move in with God. And God takes all of our baggage, and He loves us, and He provides, and He protects us, and He's with us, and He heals us, and all these kinds of awesome things. Move in with the Lord and just start acting like you live with God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that. You've gone to prepare a place for us to live with God the Father. And Lord, I know that you're talking about an eternity, that you're talking when we leave this earth we, and, and at the judgment of all things, we will live with you forever. But Lord, here on this earth, we can actually make you our dwelling, that we can, we can actually have a piece of heaven here on earth. And so Lord, we, 
we choose to move in with you today. We choose to love you above all. To make you our primary relationship. To, to commit to the, the long haul with you. Because Lord, we desire you. We're, you inspire us. We are awed by you. We enjoy you. So Lord, receive us today as we choose to live in your presence with all of our baggage, with all that we bring. And Lord, as we choose to dwell with you and to love you, we know, we're confident that when days of trouble come and when uncertainty rises, that you're there and that we find comfort and we find peace and we find wisdom and all these things because we dwell with you. Lord, as we leave this place today or we turn off the, the, the screens where we're watching, I pray, Lord, that you'd seal this in our heart and that you'd encourage us because as soon as we walk away and we, we commit, we know the devil will be right there to kind of try to steal this from us. Like, you don't really live with God. Look at you. You're not perfect. I can't believe you made this mistake. I can't believe you thought that. Lord, would you seal this thought and protect our heart and our mind and help us to just live it out? We reject any thought that comes into our mind that we're, unlove, that we're not lovable, that we're not worthy to live in your presence, that you don't want us or you don't desire us to be with you or any myriad of things that would cause us to walk away from your promises. You said, whoever. And we take you at your word. Lord, I thank you. I pray, Lord, as we engage our week, that, Lord, you give us opportunities to see your glory and your majesty, that you, as we engage with social media and people, Lord, that you give us a peace, that you help us to love your other children, that you just go with us, Lord. Help us to engage this world as you would. In your precious name, amen. Amen, church. Great to see you. Great to have you online. Thank you. Uh, for those who are present, just a reminder and a request. Um, there should be a little baggie near your seat with a, with a disinfectant wipe in it. Would you take that out and just wipe down the hard surfaces in your area? And then on your way out, there's a trash can on the left that you could throw that, throw that in. Hey, thank you so much for being here. It's, I truly enjoy this one of my favorite days of the week. Uh, if you need anything, give the office a call, give us a shout. Um, be glad to see you. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. God bless.
So we've only done seven or eight of these shows so far. But right here, we kind of left the decision time. We could play a little bit more of this, or we could just end the song, you know. But it's the weekend. <laughs> 